Good evening, church. It's good to be with you all tonight. My name is Paul. I'm privileged to serve as one of your pastors on staff. And uh, as Pastor Sean already did, I'll echo the sentiment of welcoming all of you, and especially those who are new to us. Um, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a series that Pastor Jim started about two weeks ago. Um, And it was kind of uh, dovetailing of the prophetic conference several weeks ago that was entitled Prophetic in Power, where as Pastor Jim put it, there was a a high watermark of the Holy Spirit that was left on this place. And so he, in in the vision he had for this series, was to contend for the power uh, that all of us can walk in such that that high watermark remains. Amen? And so he began that week in coming from 2 Chronicles 20 and uh, and you can read that text and also go to gracecove.org to listen to that sermon uh, again. But he talked about how we might prepare the soil for the supernatural, the soil of our hearts. Uh, and he spoke a little bit about humility in that regard and recognizing when our eyes, like Jehoshaphat uh, in Second Chronicles 20, ought to be on the Lord and recognizing what power we don't have. Last week, Pastor Duke followed up in a part two, if you will, of contending for the power and tilling and preparing the soil for the supernatural. And he spoke of compassion and talked about how we can certainly recognize and appreciate and and love on God for the compassion we see him demonstrating. But as disciples of him, we can be conduits through whom that same compassion can reach those around us. And in such a way, preparing the soil, breaking up whatever hard pan, I think is what he called it last week, uh, of, of heart such that God's word can go in and take root. And so tonight we're going to continue with that series. I've been asked to share a bit on the power to save, the power to save. And so if you would join me um, in prayer before we uh, go into the scripture, let's give God some thanks and praise for the opportunity that we get to study his word together. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We bless you. We appreciate you. Uh, This is the day that you have made and we rejoice and we are glad in it. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I pray tonight that as we open up your word, that you would open up our eyes to see all that's there. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And we are going to get to the celebratory moment. Uh, That has been happening all night, certainly, but uh, um, after our time here, we're going to celebrate with... uh, The ones to my right and your left who are going to more publicly display their profession of Christ as their Lord uh, by going through baptism. Amen. Amen. We are excited about that. I didn't give you the scripture, did I? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 and 26. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 and and 26. And I'll encourage you again to go to gracecub.org. I referenced the Prophetic Empower Conference. Uh, even those sessions um, uh, are online as well. So if you weren't able to be here with us, you can go back, as I've done uh, on a few occasions, and just listen to Pastor LaFoon and Pastor Brett and Pastor Chris Johnson from Harrison, for everyone, uh, AJ and, and Pastor Jim Critcher. It was a wonderful time. And, and certainly the last two weeks, you can do that as well. Um, find those same sermons online. So Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 26. And it reads this way. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, 
pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Thank you for your word, Lord. This particular text, let me start with actually where I was this weekend, because I feel like I've got to catch up. I missed you. I wasn't there on Sunday. I was in New York and Boston, and... Um, for those who don't know, I grew up in Long Island, so going back to New York for me is always like a homecoming of sort in that I get to feel New York again and see people and so forth. But I was at a conference, and, uh, and then I was in Boston to be with our Every Nation Church there. But for those of you who are from New York or you've driven to New York, there's a point at which you are, we drove, the whole family came, which was another uh, unique moment for us so they could kind of see where I'm from. And uh, we were crossing... Well, going up New Jersey Turnpike, and there's a point at which, for me, the, <laughs> the old <laughs> driver, Paul, kind of comes back, right? Uh, the old covenant, if you will, uh, comes back in terms of how I learned to cope with that which is New York traffic. And in those moments, I feel like I'm bargaining with God, saying, I know I've experienced the new covenant of Virginia driving. <laughs> But if I don't revert back to this old covenant, I'm going to get eaten alive, literally. And uh, so we pulled into Times Square. It was about 12 o'clock midnight, which in Times Square is like, might as well be 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And no joke, I had skateboarders cutting me off. And I mean, it was crazy. And my wife and kids in the back, and they're like, yeah, this is going to be a great, <laughs> a great weekend. But in that moment, there, it's hard sometimes for me not to literally put on another mentality and somewhat of self-preservation, right? I got to be on the bumper of the person in front of me, not letting, you know, just a lot of repentance after that. But um, the truth of that is I imagine all of us have moments where we want to revert back to or call up whatever old covenant in our world, whatever that looks like because of the security that it provides, the comfort that it provides, maybe familiarity that it provides when God is saying, I've got something more for you to access. There's something more for you to tap into. You might want to go to this outlet or that outlet to find freedom or to find uh, rest. Thank you, Jessica, for that word and resting in him. But God is saying, I've got your rest in the new covenant. This text tonight informs us of our, our need for salvation that can only be met by, completely met by, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And verse 25 begins with, therefore. Therefore. And of course, when we see therefore in the scripture, we want to further understand what it is therefore, right? And so we go back a few verses, or even if we zoomed out for a moment and just talked about the book of Hebrews in general, it's a letter or sermon, if you will, that's written uh, by an author we're not made aware of explicitly in the, in the, in the book of Hebrews as we are in other New Testament books. But um, it's kind of clear that the recipients know who the author is in terms of how communication is being given. And so this author is writing to presumably mostly Jewish Christians, and he's encouraging them essentially to stand firm in the face of trials, to stand firm uh, in Jesus Christ, to stand firm no matter what is coming their way. And there's a sense that there's a crisis or a danger that's happening in this space such that the people there were reverting back, drifting away. 
of the parts of Hebrews, it talks about uh, uh, immaturity, wanting to remain with the elementary teachings, the milk of the word. They're, they're going back, in some cases, to Judaism, the, the secure, the comfortable places that they might be. For us, I don't know, you can fill in the blank for what that old covenant for you might look like. And it seems in the book of Hebrews, still zoomed out, chapter 10, I believe, where it's, it's understood that there have probably already been defections in this particular community. So the author is saying, be encouraged, follow Jesus. Chapter two, he says, pay attention, be faithful, hear what he's saying. The old covenant, the author is saying, is new or rather superior to, flip that, the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Probably where my analogy falls way short, because I don't know about Virginia drivers either. I wouldn't say that. Any covenant, New York, Virginia, wherever, drivers are better than the other. Not us in here, but out there, right? All the people. Yeah. Oh. But the author in this text is also issuing a series of warnings. Okay, he's, 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 he's saying, hey, if you are going to be drifting, if you're going to be messing around and wanting to remain immature, there are some consequences. There's some judgment. There are some dangers that you're going to fall prey to. If you're refusing to move forward in God, zooming in a little bit more, leading up to verse 25, the writer now is making a case for the priesthood of Jesus being superior to that of the old covenant, the Levitical priesthood. And he illuminates the comparison of Jesus, our high priest, to the Levitical priest by mentioning a gentleman named Melchizedek, who we don't know a whole lot about, though we do know that uh, he's the first priest ever mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 14, and what we know is that there's no genealogy, there's no beginning of his days or end of his days, and as such, he's a priest forever. So there's this case being made for Melchizedek being unlike any other Levitical priest. In fact, as I mentioned, he's superior to all of them. For one, in this case that's being made, he's appointed by God. Within the Levitical priesthood, which of course is governed by Mosaic law, there had to be some lineage to become a high priest. Melchizedek didn't have any. Again, there was no genealogy of record. He's appointed by God. You had to be in the Levitical priesthood, uh, born in the right family, if you will. Melchizedek wasn't. And if you remember in Genesis 14, where Abram was rescuing Lot after he was uh, t- taken and defeated in battle, Abram goes and just raids everything, gets his nephew back, takes all the stuff along with getting his family back, and then he meets Melchizedek, and not only does Melchizedek bless him, which implies somewhat of a superior, inferior relationship, right? One is better than the other, but he also pays a tithe or a tenth of everything that he has to Melchizedek, also reinforcing this notion of superiority in terms of priesthood. And I should mention here, Somewhat parenthetically, we won't stay here for a long time, but Hebrews is probably one of the most profoundly theological spaces to be in, which is why I read two verses tonight, because we can certainly spend a lot of time in the whole book of Hebrews. But uh, Melchizedek is what we would call a typology, right? A, a foreshadowing of Christ. So even as it's referenced in the scripture, it is not, don't hear me as saying that there's, the author is saying that he's at, in any way equal to or akin to Christ, but rather Genesis 14, Psalm 110, I believe, verse 4 foreshadows Christ through Melchizedek, this priest without genealogy. And the author of Hebrews also suggests that even Levi, who collected a tenth from the people, as did all of the descendants of Levi, 
also paid a tithe through Abraham to Melchizedek. Again, reinforcing or arguing, if you will, the superiority of Melchizedek's priesthood over the old Levitical priesthood. His name, in fact, means king of righteousness. He was king of Salem, which also means king of peace. And he was priest of God most high. So you have king and you have priest. In verse 17 of the seventh chapter, so we're working our way up to the verses that I did read tonight, it says that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which again was prophesied in Psalm 110. The bottom line of all of that is that Jesus is our high priest. That is something to be glad about. (laughs) He's superior to any Levitical or old covenant priesthood. Why, though, I think we would want to ask in that is, would we need a new priest? Why do we not just continue sacrificing bulls and goats? What is, what is that about? Firstly, because verse 18 says, the former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless. The law made nothing perfect. And Romans 3 goes on to talk about how we are all no one, rather, is declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, but rather through the, work, the law, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And so under this first covenant, in the Levitical priesthood, in the tabernacle, if you will, um, there were these two rooms. There's the inner room that the priest could go into and they could do their ministry there. And then in the, uh, behind the second curtain, if you will, you have the high priest who would go in once a year to sacrifice. There needed to be a shedding of blood for the sins, not just of the people for whom the priest was there interceding, but for himself as well. And we need a new priest, as you are, I'm sure, there already, because that no longer, or that never really completely saves. And in the high priest that we have in Jesus Christ, the superior high priest, we know that he only needed to go in and die once. He needed to rise from the dead one time shed his blood once. And it wasn't for his sins, like the priest who had to go in for their sins and ours. No, the high priest, the super high priest, went in on our behalf. And after rising from the dead, he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, where we know power rests. And as such, he can intercede on our behalf, not once a year, but continually, he's living at the right hand of the Father. So wherever we find ourselves in life, there's no distance, there's no gap in between somebody needing to go and make atonement. The atonement has been made for us once and for all. And so it's through him that the power to save exists. It is through Jesus that we are saved forever, through him that we can overcome in our lives. It's through him that we can live lives of integrity. It's through him that we can beat fear. It's through him that we can steward the resources that he's given us well. It's through him that we can see miracles happen now. It's through Jesus that the unreachable can be reconciled, which we'll be touching on next week. It's through Jesus that the wayward child, perhaps, that you are experiencing in your immediate family or beyond can find his or her way home. It's through Jesus That any marriage or relationship that seems dead can be like Lazarus four days after he was in the tomb and find itself resurrected. There's power in the name of Jesus. Therefore, therefore, verse 25 says, he is able to save completely. And that completely 
speaks to not just the punishment or the penalty of sin, but rather he wants to save us in and through all times. There's perpetuity, if you will, in his priesthood. He wants to save us right now. He wants to save us from the power of sin, the nature of sin. He wants to save us from heartache, from depression, from bitterness, from resentment. He wants to save us from guilt. He's interceding on our behalf right now for the fear that we might have in certain situations. And the good news is he's able. He is able. And only our high priest in Jesus Christ is able to save completely. Verse 26 goes on to say why he can save completely. Because only he is holy. Only he is blameless. Only he is pure. Only he is set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And so in Jesus Christ, we have what we need. And so for you and I today, if you were to go over a little bit later, and uh, I believe it's the 10th chapter of Hebrews, he talks, the author talks about the blood of bulls and goats just not being able to cut it. Not being able to cut it, but the reality I suspect is many of us have our goats and our bulls still. I don't know what that looks like. You can fill in the blank. And so I want us to think tonight and imagine, if you will, what it might be like for us to fully embrace. Chapter 2 talks about paying attention to what we've heard. What would it look like to be faithful? What would it look like for us not to rely on or stay stuck in the elementary teachings, but to move forward in maturity, recognizing that he's able, that he's able. Only Jesus can save completely. Can we pray? Lord, thank you so much for this time tonight of opening up this idea of your power being the only power that can save and that can save completely. And tonight we'd be remiss if we didn't offer the opportunity for those in the room who have yet to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who have yet to acknowledge Jesus as your high priest and receiving that new covenant to do so tonight. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if anyone is here and has yet to receive our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we would love to pray for you and we would ask that you just raise your hand so we can pray with you the prayer of salvation tonight. If there's anyone in the room at all. Well, amen, Lord. We thank you so much for the Word of God that is alive, that is active, sharper than any two edged sword, that is penetrating bone and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Thank you, Lord, for doing surgery like none other on our hearts, such that we can grow into maturity as the author of Hebrews is encouraging his readers to do. Help us, Lord, to move forward in the power that you've called us to live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.